Depression is having a body that wants to live with a mind that wants to die constantly. And so your body wants to fight it, but you know, your mind can't handle it anymore. Hey there, my name is Sean and this is Suicide Noted. On this podcast, I talk with suicide attempt survivors so that we can hear their stories. Every year around the world, millions of people try to take their own lives and we almost never talk about it. And when we do talk about it, many of us, including me, aren't very good at it. So one of my goals with this podcast is to have more conversations and hopefully better conversations with attempt survivors. I am going to keep trying. As always, a huge thanks to everybody who has joined me here on this podcast to talk so openly and courageously, and to everyone who listens week in and week out. Thank you so much. Now, if you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I'd love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at suicidenoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. And remember, we are talking about suicide here, so this may not be a good fit for everybody. Please take that into account before you listen. But I do hope you listen because there is so much to learn. If you'd like to help us out, we'll keep doing what you're doing. Listen. Let people know about the podcast, especially people who may need to hear it. Share it on social media. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review it. That really does help. Thanks so much for that. Today, I am talking with Autumn. Autumn lives in Virginia, and she is a suicide attempt survivor. Hey, Autumn. Hi. Thanks for joining me today and for listening. I really like the podcast a lot. It's just something I can strongly relate to. You can? Absolutely. A lot of people wouldn't say that. Yeah, I think that's why I listened to it in the first place, because I just felt like I was um, probably just feeling like I was in that place on a particular day. Uh, Mm -hmm. Maybe a month ago is when I discovered it, actually, but I've never actually done anything like this before in my entire life, like a interview slash conversation slash podcast. The only person I've ever really talked to uh, remotely, professionally, or of any kind. <laughs> Whatever this is, yeah. Is like a therapist. Never actually publicly talked about it ever. So, but it's it's really exciting, but I'm also really nervous. You are? Yeah. You're, you're excited to do it and you're nervous to do it. Yeah. Okay. And you are in Virginia. How old are you, may I ask? Oh, sure. Um, yeah, I'm 22. I just graduated undergrad this past May. So I'm just taking a couple of gap years and just working right now. Um, and I'm a science major there and a, a foreign language minor. Science and science and language? Yeah. Do you want to do this t- conversation in Spanish? I could try, but you know. <laughs> not doing it in Spanish. <laughs> Necesito aprender un poquito de vocabulario. <laughs> yeah. Igualmente, yeah. igualmente. So, Autumn in Virginia, 22 years old, recently graduated. Did you, at some point in your life, attempt suicide? I did, just over a year ago. So, Halloween was sort of like the one-year period, actually. I was 21. Well, let's talk about that, if you're okay with it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's always tricky to know where to start these things, right? So, do you have a spot where you're like, here's where I think the story actually begins? I hope I don't sound like a counselor or a therapist. I'm just a random dude in North Carolina. Um, no, I'm I'm actually I'm super thankful for this opportunity. I hope it can make people feel the way I did. So even though I'm not super good at being being vulnerable, I'm way better at it than I used to be. With it actually I don't even have an earliest memory of it because it happened like uh my mom and dad got married out of the military. They didn't know each other like probably as well as they should have gotten to know each other. Once they had kids, which was my sister and I, um, she's younger. I'm a couple years older. um, So she doesn't remember as much as I do. My dad, actually, he was dealt a pretty crappy hand for his childhood, I guess. And it's not an excuse, but he spent so much of his younger life as such an angry person. He was just so mad at everyone and everything and had so many grudges and I think some of what happened 
during our childhood was a result of that pent up anger. You know, he had a, a sergeant voice. Like if you've ever heard, like in the movies, the sergeants like in or G.I. Jane, you know, like how how loud some of those men will yell. And, you know, our, our dad used to yell at us like that over very small things like not sitting up straight or like not using our fork the right way when we ate our food. And we were like maybe five or six years old or something. He was a firm believer in corporal punishment. And he thought that, you know, fear was the best way to get you to listen and respect someone and, and follow the rules instead of, I don't even know if he knew another way at the time. He just wanted us to be scared of him, I think. And that's how he got us to listen to him. So were you scared of him? Extremely scared. I don't know. Sometimes I, I think that's why my relationship with him feels really detached um, because I still make an effort to see him to this day. He only lives about an hour from where I'm at right now, but it's always just this happy-go-lucky attitude because none of this stuff from the past was really ever addressed because I was too afraid to bring it up. I get like, I sort of feel the shakes like every time I want to talk about it, but I don't because he was such a, had such a harsh like stoic exterior, you know, I could never figure him out. Like he just never showed any kind of vulnerability or emotion ever. And, you know, when he would enact these corporal punishments, like there was this one night I like, I drew on some of my toys or something, big Thomas the Tank Engine fan when I was growing up. So I had like a wooden train table and all that stuff kind of like you would see in Barnes and Noble stores in the kids section growing up that's kind of what I had and I like just kind of drew with this really sparkly pen I thought I thought I did a good job but you know um he got extremely upset and I just remember just little fragments from that night I think I wasn't like all there I don't think but my mom was there and my dad he had this this thick wooden paddle that I think he carved out and he carved holes in it so every time he would hit us with it it would travel through the air faster I guess or it would seem lighter so it would be harder and he would get his message across better I guess he he just picked me up by like one arm and sort of just kind of continued to like hit me with this this paddle for like a couple minutes you know it felt like an eternity but after that like my sister wasn't even the one getting punished but she was crying and sobbing in the corner. Um, she's probably like three or four years old. And then uh, I just was sitting there sort of like how I'm talking to you now. I just sort of sat there like this afterwards and I didn't say anything or cry or do anything. I think I was too afraid to, or I don't know why I just refused to show any like vulnerability or emotion. And I think that's when my mom said, you know, you're going to make them scared of you. You need to stop doing that. And my dad said, good you know, like I want them to be scared. I think from a really young age, I really struggled with showing vulnerability. And to this day, I hate crying in front of my family. I don't know. It's so uncomfortable. Uh, Crying is so uncomfortable. But I think that sort of set the tone for me just when I was younger and having flashbacks. So when people like yell or do certain things, it sort of like invokes a really negative response in me. It makes me feel kind of freaked out sometimes. But Uh, I think I started just really struggling with kind of what a lot of teenagers would struggle with when they were younger or even before that, just with body image issues and with what other kids say and all that stuff. So Mm -hmm. I think it sort of began with my younger childhood and just not being able to express those feelings. Um, So when I needed help, I never said anything like Mm -hmm. physically, if I was in pain, I would just never say anything. And I I think that's where this all sort of came from. Mm -hmm. So when you're growing up in your preteen years and your teen years, you're in Virginia. Mm -hmm. Is it kind of normal? Whatever that means. Normal is a really hard to define, isn't it? Because we all say, I wish I could be like everyone else normal. And I think everyone else is wishing that they could be like everyone else. So um, I think normal is like a very interesting term sort of like something that doesn't exist, but it's an idea that we all like. Maybe a better way to put it is like, did you feel okay about things? 
Um, I didn't realize it wasn't okay until I started going to therapy um, when I was much older. So it was a lot harder to fix at that point um, because I really just didn't know any other way. I didn't know anything else until I opened some of the stuff that happened. My dad, he was, he would get into physical altercations with my mom and we would see it a lot. And I, we would just hear like glass breaking from our room and we didn't really see what was happening, but we just could hear like the violence and all the anger in the house. And when my mom and my dad got divorced, when I was about seven, it was so incredibly nasty. It was horrible. My mom tried to be civil. My dad just couldn't. To this day, I think he's actually a wonderful person. Um, I just think he did terrible things like when we were younger. I like forgive him or or whatever, <laughs> but I just, uh, I guess it, I didn't realize it. It probably just messed us up a little bit and all the conflicts between, you know, my stepdad and him and then him and my mom. Um, I mean, in his phone, my mom's name was Beelzebub. you know, and I just thought looking back on it, it's just so childish. It just seems so childish of a thing to do. And I always thought he hated her. So everything was just so negative and there was just so much fighting happening all the time. So I didn't really think love existed either. I thought it was just all this negative energy and I thought people were bad and stuff like that. Um, So I thought that was normal for me growing up. I just thought that it was my sister, my mom, and myself just against every all these horrible men in our lives. <laughs> not all men are bad. Like not not all women are good, not all men are bad. But in those moments of my life, you know, those men seemed pretty bad at the time. I just think because they were just my stepdad and my dad fought a lot, and my mom and my dad fought a lot. And we got yelled at over just very trivial things. I didn't realize that wasn't normal until college, probably. Mm-hmm. So when you're in college, you start to get a little clearer on this stuff. And at some point in your junior or senior year, you are not clearly not okay. Because I think, I don't know if you agree with me. Tell me if you disagree. People that are okay usually don't try to end their lives. I could be wrong. You're definitely right about that. 100%. The first time I thought about it was actually in elementary school, but I never, I never did anything. I just always had very uh, self-destructive sort of habits, even when I didn't realize that they were. I, I don't think my mom knew how to deal with it. She doesn't understand any type, anything related to like mental health, like episodes or mental health, uh, just mental illnesses in general. Like she doesn't really understand because she's never experienced it in her life. That's really good for her, honestly. Good for, her, mom. good for you, mom. Yeah, I know. Um, really good for her. Despite everything she's been through, um, she just doesn't get it. So every time it comes up, at least in the past, before this attempt that I made about a year ago, she didn't know, like she didn't understand. And it seemed like really uncomfortable to talk about. And she just didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. Also, I just find like the the form of self-harm that, that starts with a C, I don't like to say it. I find it, I, for lack of a better word, I guess, triggering. We don't have to use the word, but I know what you mean. I started engaging in that sort of thing as one of, I guess, a coping mechanism when I was in like eighth grade. So I think I was like 12 or 13 when I started to do that. Uh, even before that, uh, my mom, I think, I think I did it. It was my choice, but it didn't help that my mom didn't understand. And I think at times she thought I was like broken. She sort of talked to me like about my feelings sort of as if they were problems or like, Oh, how do we fix this? Or like, how do we fix, you know, like, okay, what are we supposed to do with you? And she's a wonderful person and she's gotten way better after everything that happened last year. But I felt very alone in that. So I think she found out in the most horrible way possible. I think I didn't tell her. I'm sure she suspected it because I had a nervous tick where I would kind of rub my wrists or I'd pick at my skin and it would sort of form scabs. And she saw that and she thought it was self-destructive and she didn't really know how to address it without making me feel bad about it. So Mm -hmm. 
I was at like this doctor's appointment and they were doing a physical exam on me and I was a young teenager. So they found like some markings under my clothes and they were from the night before. Didn't plan that well. I honestly forgot I had a doctor's appointment the following day because I was a minor. They legally had to tell my mom about it. Once she brought my mom into the room after that, um, we didn't speak. We didn't speak for the rest of the day. And my mom and I didn't talk the whole car ride home. It was probably one of the worst car rides I've had in my life. It trumps all of all other all other horrible car rides and annoying family road trips. That was probably one of the worst car rides ever. It was the the silence was just so tense and the anxiety was so high, at least for me. And I still, to this day, don't even know what my mom was thinking. You know, I don't know if she was upset at herself or at me. So my mind just kind of went to the worst case scenario. Like she wishes she never had me, or I'm just, I'm causing all these problems, or, you know, I don't want to make her feel like she's a terrible mom, just all these things, catastrophizing, you know, a lot of us do that. I was really bad at that when I was younger. So it sort of just led up to all of these toxic habits I had um, because I just felt really numb all the time. So I did these things to make myself feel something is kind of what I told my therapist. Was that honest? Yeah. What are those things? One of the myths is that like when people think of self-harm, they stereotype it into like one category. But for me, it was also just walking around in the middle of the night because I was really anxious and couldn't sleep. And I would walk around in the middle of the night, like by myself, not in the road, but like off to the side of the road. Or like I, I did like probably engage in some pretty like dangerous activities, like when I was maybe like a sophomore, when I was struggling at the beginning of college to adjust and I had failed a couple classes and it was just a lot. I had also just gone through a breakup. So I felt very lonely. So I would, was like drinking a little bit, using recreational drugs that led, which led to like non-consensual, like sexual activities, uh, which I still regret to this day, even though I know it's not my fault. It's just something that happened that I learned from and and grew from, you know, those are all self-destruct. Those are, those are all forms of self-harm too, that a lot of. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm going to back up for one sec. You said, when did you start going to therapy? I've been several times throughout my life, but I think the time I actually committed and I decided to go for myself, it wasn't my mom or any, anyone else. Um, I really started going my sophomore year of college and Mm -hmm. I saw school counselor up until I graduated. So I stuck, I stuck with her for three years. Was there any kind of diagnosis that you agreed with that felt right? Uh, I'm still kind of seeking that out, actually, like a formal diagnosis for not just like um, psychologic testing, but also like for learning disabilities as well. I think I really struggled in school. And instead of saying, thinking there's something wrong with me, maybe there actually was just something going on in my head that I didn't know about. But they sort of kind of put me in the major depressive disorder, possible mood disorder, and um, like generalized anxiety, or like some kind of panic disorder. They tried um, the school like psychiatrist, they, he prescribed a couple of different uh, medications. And one of them didn't work, I just kind of stopped taking it, it didn't really make a difference. But um, he did put me on Wellbutrin. And that was the start of I don't know, a journey to attempt to heal myself or just heal the past. And I would, I just wanted to close up some of those wounds that I left open to make the present better so I could get better grades, maybe actually have some friends or just one, maybe join some clubs, which I ended up doing. But then my senior year came around and I just ran into a whole new set of problems. But I did stick with the same counselor for three years, and she was there through all of it. <laughs> Were you on Wellbutrin when you tried, when you attempted suicide? It's one of the things I used, actually. So, yes, I was. All right, let's talk about that. So you, that's, you, you tried to overdose? I did. That's, that's the way that, that I did it. It mm-hmm. was the most 
uncomfortable way for me at the time. Can you share what was going on before? Like really something must have changed for you to make that decision. Do you have any idea what that was in the preceding whatever amount of time? I, I absolutely do. I actually, I've always been, since I am so bad at verbal communication, like especially when I was younger, I couldn't verbalize what I was feeling. It was just too uncomfortable. I would just write it down and journal a lot. I actually have journal entries from that go way back. And I have a journal entry from that day um, last year. I wrote in the journal everything I was feeling. I wrote in my phone too, but I also, I deleted those because I just didn't want to see them anymore. But I still have the physical journal entry I wrote, like pen and paper. And at that period in my life, there was a, a lot going on. I lived in the dorm for three years um, on campus. And then my senior year, I decided to move off campus and get my own apartment. And I shared it with a roommate and I actually went to high school with her. So we're already friends before. And she was an amazing roommate. She was so wonderful um, and understanding and super reliable. She didn't have anything to do with it, actually. But I, I think I was just going through a period where a lot of it, I think the biggest stressor was money. I think for me at the time, it started, I think, with just me trying to uh, trying to work consistently at this little retail job I had at the time. I think I was just spending more money than I was making money and I really needed it. I felt just this pressure of my rent money and I was paying for electric as well. And I was paying for a few other things too. And my car had broken down at the time and I was so behind in classes. And I also got a second job I got fired from two days after working there because they said I was too slow. It was some kind of like little cafe job. It wasn't, it was not for me, but it was, it was really hurtful though. I seem to do this thing, especially in the past where if all these things go wrong, it starts to have this spiral effect on me. I start thinking about all the other things wrong in my life and wrong with me. And then I think about the past and everything wrong with that. And it just gets to be way too much. I hear this has happened to a couple of people on this show, which I feel sorry that they went through it. But I also feel like I felt less judged, you know, judgmental of myself when they said they had gotten scammed out of some money. And I got scammed out of over a thousand dollars. And for me at the time, that was a lot of money because um, I needed like every penny I could get for my rent and expenses. I felt too embarrassed to tell my parents because they had like some reservations about me moving out. They didn't know if I could handle it. And then I'm coming to them saying, oh, I couldn't handle it. I messed up or whatever. Not like I was too proud. I was just really, I was so down on myself and so embarrassed. And there were a few other things going on as well. But, you know, I just think all of the, all of it was just too, it was just too much. So uh, what I ended up doing was I almost did this my sophomore year too, but I didn't have the energy to go through with it in the end. But my senior year, when all of this stuff was happening and school was too stressful and just all of this, all these factors at play, it got to be too much. So I decided to devise a plan in which I took all the things out of my drawers, my closet. I emptied like my entire room basically and put all of my things into these bins, sort of like moving bins. Like I really planned on going through with it. So whenever my family came to get my things, they wouldn't have to go through my things. I thought it would hurt them less if I got everything packed away, if I did all that hard work for them. I know if it were, if I were them in that situation, I wouldn't be able to do it. I wouldn't be able to, if it were my sister, I wouldn't be able to touch her clothes and go through her stuff. I I did all of that pretty quickly. And I also, I erased my name from this dry erase board. My roommate and I kept uh, in the living room of our schedules on a daily basis. So we could just look at the board and just know what the other was up to. I erased my name from there. I took all my stuff out of the bathroom. Like I basically erased myself, my physical presence from the apartment. And a few days prior, I actually drove around. I was driving around town to spots that looked remote, somewhere mm -hmm. I could park and just not be bothered or not bother anyone. So I 
ended up doing that. And then a few days later is when I made the decision, like I just couldn't do it anymore. So I, uh, I packed my things and I, I did all the stuff I planned and I, I journaled a little bit and just kind of had whatever was laying around. I had, um, my Wellbutrin. I, I just grabbed it. I had sleeping pills. I grabbed those. My roommate, she had ibuprofen. So I took that, put it all in my bag and I got a couple bottles of wine. I read that alcohol like interacted really badly with other drugs or that it sped up the process or something. So I took that just hoping to make this horrible, terrible concoction of some sort. I just wanted it to work and I didn't want it to be, I didn't really want it to be painful. I kind of just wanted everything to be over because, you know, depression is, is having a body that wants to live with a mind that wants to die constantly. And so your body wants to fight it, but you know, your mind is like, it just can't handle it anymore. In the movies, there's the main character, then there's the best friend. Then there's like all the acquaintances. I felt like I was one of the people just that they hired as an extra, just walking around in the back, just to fill this space of this giant void that I was living in. So that's just how I felt like on a daily basis, pretty much. So once I did all that, I got in my car, I actually got it to start because my car was also completely, totally broken at the time. And I couldn't drive anywhere. So I was like riding my bike to school in the rain and stuff. And I was really down on myself for that too. And I couldn't afford to fix it because all my money was gone. I had a negative account balance. It was so bad. And so I drove to this location with all this stuff that I, I took from the apartment. Then I ended up drinking like half a bottle of wine or something. I think I used the wine to like help swallow everything. And it was just, it felt really weird because I thought it would be like this big moment, but it wasn't. It was very anticlimactic and it was very, it was really scary, but not in the way that I thought, you know, it wasn't by any means worth glorifying at all. Um, It didn't feel like how I thought it would. I didn't even think I would be reflecting on how I thought it would feel. I didn't even think I'd be here. Were you in a car or in a park or in a woods or in a lake? I just stayed in my car and I just, I parked it behind this building that was clearly closed for the day um, around the side. So no one saw me at all. I, I texted my my mom, my sister, and my, my stepdad. I texted all of them telling them I just really loved them. And I thought, I texted them individually. I told my sister out of the blue, like she's an amazing sister. My mom's a wonderful mother. I just texted them that and they weren't super suspicious. They just, you know, were like, oh, like, thank you. That's, that's really sweet of you. Like you're a wonderful daughter or you're a wonderful sister. And I wanted that to be the last thing I said to them. I left each of them very long notes in my phone, like things I wrote to each of them. Um, and I was really sorry. I, the only thing that kept me there for that long was actually them. Cause I didn't want to, I didn't want to disappoint them. And I, I think of, uh, it's, I think it was Max from Ohio. He's probably the person I've related to on this series more than anyone. I think it was Max from Ohio because he says, you know, you want to do this thing, but you have to make other people happy and you have to be the good, like a good little human and just go through life and do what society tells you. And I was like, I thought I was the only one that felt like that. But then I listened to that episode and I was like, wow, there's two of us. Um, (laughs) That was my favorite episode. Shout out to Max in Ohio. What's up, Max? Yeah, that was that was such a a wonderful episode for me to listen to. It was like an awakening. I it was like, oh, I need to do this podcast now. So you did you fall asleep? Part is actually the craziest thing about the whole entire thing, I think. And to this day, I still can't explain it. I had a, a lot in my system, obviously, something that would definitely kill someone. At least that's that's what my doctors told me. They were like, we're really shocked that you are still here. It was a lot of ibuprofen, which is extremely damaging, you know, to the internal organs, the kidneys. I was going into like kidney failure and liver failure. And by the time I like woke up, I, I drank this, this alcohol. I, I took all of this stuff. I I have these fragments, these very like sparse memories of just throwing up in my bathtub, like at home, you know, I'm in the car, you know, one minute with all of these 
these notes and stuff, but then the next moment I'm in my bathroom. And then the next moment I'm at the front door, letting my stepdad in. But I think because of the Wellbutrin, this is what the doctor said. It was making me kind of spasm, sort of like someone with Parkinson's disease, like really late stages of Parkinson's. It was the onset of a seizure. So I took all of this stuff and I had to pass through intersections. I drove myself all the way home. I never ended up falling asleep. I tried, um, but then I ended up going to sleep uh, at some point on and off waking up. The doctor said, you know, the alcohol is actually what saved you because you threw the alcohol made you throw up and you threw up like half of what you took. I think that's the craziest part. I just can't explain it at all that. I had all this going through my system and I somehow got home. I somehow drove. There's so many things that could have gone wrong or an accident I could have gotten into. Mm. I have no idea what time I even came home. I even talked to my roommate a little. Um, I did things that I just don't remember doing mm. at all. Um, it, yeah, it was yeah. huge, enormous blackout. And uh, after all that happened, evidently I called my stepdad and told him what happened with my money. And so he came by the next morning and he was going to take me to the bank. And when I answered the door, I was just stumbling over everywhere and I was shaking. My head was shaking and I was, my whole body was just sort of like calmly, but consistently spasming. And he, he freaked out. He was like, you're shaking. Like you have Parkinson's what's, what's wrong. And he was freaking out rightfully. So, so he immediately drove me to the hospital and I don't have, I have no memory of this, but evidently as soon as we walked through the doors, he was helping me get through the doors of the hospital. I collapsed and had like a, what they call a grand mal seizure. So I was like foaming at the mouth and clenching my jaw and my, my fingers were, you know, tightened and closed up and my neck was back and my eyes rolled back into my head. And mm. all of that happened. I have no memory of it though. I just remember waking up in the hospital bed with my parents, my mom and my stepdad, they were devastated. Like they were crying and they just wanted to make sure I was okay. But it's just the craziest thing how so many things could have gone wrong that night. Mm. And I'm, I made it still somehow I made it. Do you think that it's a sort of a little divine intervention there or just luck? I have no idea. I shouldn't assume you feel lucky about it. So that's another part of the question, but yeah. I think at the time I felt I did feel lucky and happy to be alive, but I was also very discouraged because I'm like, well, now I have to deal with what I've done. I had to stay in the hospital for a week because of all the organ damage that I had. And I also had to stay because they had to coordinate, you know, figure out what to do, like where they were going to send me next, because it was a very serious attempt that's never happened before. So I spent about a week in the hospital. It was just before Halloween. Then they sent me to a, a behavioral health center is what it's called. In the movies, it's called a, a, a psych ward, I guess. But um, well, whatever you want, sure. But it was um, a really nice behavioral center with people. They were suffering from so many different problems. Some people were in there for the same reason I was. Some people were in there with the worst anxiety I've ever seen in my life. Mm. They were drugs, alcohol abuse, just so many different things. Mm. And they all were so casual about their stories. And I'm, I have trouble with just talking about my feelings, let alone something this serious that I did. And in the end, I just, they ended up becoming my friends while I was in there. Um, and it was about a week that I stayed in there. So I was out of school for about two weeks because of the attempt, because of the whole situation. It changed everything. I definitely do still struggle. I would say when it's bad, it's pretty bad. And when things are good, they're usually pretty good. It's really exhausting. I think my mood goes way up and then it goes way down. I explained it to my, my therapist as a scale of negative 10 to positive 10. And most of my life, I live at about a zero. And when I'm happy or doing well, I'm at about an eight or like a six to an eight. And then when I just have I guess, sort of a depress depressive episode or anxiety or something or, or panic attacks or whatever, whatever it is, it goes down to like a negative eight. And it's mm -hmm. really hard to back to that zero. I, I just think 
most people live life like pretty content and the sad periods are only temporary. Um, but for me, when I was happy, like that was the temporary thing. And I felt very comfortable and content living in that sort of sadness, that little, I don't know, that sort of negative, slight negative range. But it, a lot of that changed after after this attempt, especially with my family, immensely. My mom, she still doesn't understand like what I was going through by any means, but she is so much more understanding of that I just was going through something. And she's so much more sensitive to that topic. She doesn't like make jokes about it anymore. She's She realizes that it was a real problem for me. And mm. she knows that I've been um, engaging in self-harming and kind of reckless behavior, you know, since I was really young. She's known about it for a long time, but I, and she was worried when I was younger that something like this would happen. But I think mm. when it did, it was a huge, it was a huge awakening for her, not like a wake up call, but she knew how bad it was. Uh, it finally just helped her understand how serious some problems were that I was having. Mm -hmm. And your stepdad? He's technically actually not my stepdad anymore. Um, my mom and him are divorced, but he's still like a dad to me. So I'm very close with him. You're living he, with him. Yeah, I am. I, I'm kind of like half here, half at, at my girlfriend's dorm. I kind of just float. I am waiting for my girlfriend to graduate um, so we can move in together once she's finished with school. She's a year behind me. Uh, we went to the same school. That's how we met. But yeah, it just, um, my stepdad was so he was so wonderful. I didn't expect him to be so understanding and so kind, but he has, he can relate to those issues more than my mom can. And I've just never seen a grown man cry like that. He was so upset. He was devastated. And it just made me realize how much he, my parents actually loved me and I, they completely like accept me for who I am. And I, that was just really nice. We just got a lot closer after that experience. And I feel like I can actually kind of talk to them about real stuff now. Um, and my girlfriend too, I, a month after we were started dating, I told her about this whole experience. It was a long conversation too. She didn't say a word the entire time. She just listened for like an hour. Mm. So the experience changed a lot of stuff. How many people in the world know that you tried? Six six people very specific number six okay <laughs> did you include me seven seven <laughs> yeah wow that's crazy the people that know are you know my roommate they they called her and were asking her the the next morning like are you missing any medications like we think she might have taken some of your stuff can you tell us like what's missing and and that's how my roommate found out um she had no idea before so my roommate knows a really good friend of mine from college. She knows because she was there for my roommate while I was gone for a couple of weeks. She came over to our apartment and, you know, she spent the night with her a few nights. She was really freaked out. So um, the, those two know my friends, two friends from college know my mom and my, my stepdad know my girlfriend knows and an ex-boyfriend of mine actually knows because we were just we just happened to be talking and catching up a couple days before it all happened. And I sent him incoherent text messages that really worried him. And that's how he found out because uh, I told him I was in the hospital. So those are the six people that know. And now you seven um, There are two people you did not name. I don't know if they should have been named. I don't or you would have named them. One is your sister. Oh, yes, my sister. And you um, didn't tell your father. My dad doesn't know. All right, so your sister does know. <laughs> she does, but she doesn't like to talk about it. My biological dad doesn't know. It's just a conversation I'm not ready to have with him because there are so many other things. There are so many other things I need to address with him and fix in my head before I even think about telling him something like that because yeah. the only person he knows me as is this very cheerful, happy-go-lucky person. He would be shocked. I don't even think he would believe me. He would think it was a prank or something at first. Yeah. He has no idea uh, any of the struggles I've ever had actually growing up. 
I, I don't think he has any idea how his, some of his past behaviors even affected us. I don't think he knows at all. He's changed so much since then. I think he's just kind of left a lot of that in the past. So there's a lot he doesn't know. And that really big part of my life is something he doesn't know about. So how many people do you have in your life that you can have these kinds of conversations with? Actually, just one. I, I talked to my girlfriend about it because she's the only one I feel like that understands. Um, no one's understood me better, actually. My parents love me, and I know now that they would do anything before they, before they lost me again. My mom actually made me sign a life contract. She went into my computer and she typed up this contract uh, and she made me like type it, you know, sign it, you know, and saying I would always talk to them first or that I would never do this again. She made me like promise I would never do this again. So I, I usually don't talk to her about these sort of things. So let's just back up for one sec and I'm not picking on your mom, but the people will hear this, whether it's something like that, asking someone or even more than asking them to sign something saying they're not going to do whatever that will not have any bearing on their actions, presumably. And in your case, tell me if I'm wrong, of course, you already had a type of relationship where you weren't going to talk to her, but it certainly didn't help is the point. No. It didn't do any good. You know, you're absolutely right. It left a sinking feeling in me. Like it just reminded me of how damaged everyone else is, you know, when you try to start to go through with this sort of thing. And it damaged a lot of people around me for a long time, actually. And it was just hard to even talk about certain subjects that even reminded them of this subject. It was walking on eggshells for a few months. I think they just weren't suspecting it at all. My, my therapist wasn't either, but it was a little easier to talk to her, you know, because she specializes in this kind of thing and she understands. My, my girlfriend is completely different though. I'm like not afraid to feel, let myself feel depressed or sad or anxious around her. I just don't cover any of it. With my parents, I, I really do kind of still put on a little bit of a facade because I don't want them to think I'm not okay. Because if I'm not okay, even if I know I'll be okay tomorrow, the next day, I'm just having a short temporary crisis as one does. I don't want them to think it's going to lead to something else. And so my girlfriend is the one that I tell, and she's the one I communicate with the most. I actually, I had a really kind of another close call a couple of weeks ago. We got into a disagreement. We don't yell. I don't do yelling, but you know, we didn't even fight. It was just a disagreement and it was a sensitive subject, I think, in the relationship. And I just started to spiral and do the thing where I think of everything that's wrong with me and everything that's wrong with my past and my life and the things I wish I could redo. And I hear my mom's voice telling me like not to dwell on the past or that's stupid or something like that, which makes me feel even worse. Her hypothetical voice yelling at me for something she probably wouldn't yell at me for. And the next thing I knew, I like my girlfriend was was shaking me awake because I had fallen asleep on the bathroom floor like in here. Um, And there was a bottle of Wellbutrin, I guess, that I had taken out. And I'm not on that medication anymore, actually. I'm on a couple different ones, but I was still getting that prescription for a few months after they switched it. And I don't know why, but I, I kept it. I wasn't taking it anymore, but I kept it because I thought one day, like, I don't know, she, my girlfriend, she was not mad at me, but she said, you know, why did you keep this? Why do you still have this Wellbutrin? Like, you know, you know what happened the last time you took this. I told her, I don't know, like in case I needed it again. I It obviously made her upset, but she she understood. She didn't make me feel bad for it. And she let me keep it, actually. I still have it. I'm a lot better at, at talking to her more after that incident. But it was another close call, I think. I just got really close, and then I guess sort of faded out a little. She was shaking me awake. I guess I was just on the laying on the floor and I really scared her. So I would like to say it was a life-changing experience and I wrote a book about it, 
but it's it's not the case at all actually i i think i go through really good periods but i also still really struggle uh quite often and i think i'll just carry this history with me for the rest of my life and I'll still continue to learn things from it. And maybe someday I'll tell my dad if that ever happens. But I think that my girlfriend is mainly the reason I'm, I'm still here and the reason I want to do this podcast and the reason I want to wake up tomorrow morning and go to work. It's definitely because of her, because she's so understanding and she just listens. I've never really had that before. You know, they always want to tell you what to do. My, my parents always tell me they're like oh there's so many other ways don't do that and my my girlfriend just listens yeah the power of one person man wow what are the odds that you are not going to be alive by your 25th birthday well um i like to take it day by day i take things day by day so if i were basing that off of this moment the chances are very high like over 90% likely that I will celebrate my 25th birthday. I give it three layers, just how I'm doing. I always base things off of how I'm doing in the moment, how I'm doing like in the long term, and also just how happy I am with my life. Sort of like three little layers, like an onion of happiness, I guess. If I'm basing it off of this moment and just how things are going in my life, I would say it's very likely that I will actually 25th birthday. And I'm actually in this moment, I will say at least I'm really grateful for that. What helps more than anything else to not feel shitty? Just having something to look forward to. Again, Max from Ohio really just, (laughs) he said in the podcast episode, you know, you cope in your own way. And I really, I I didn't judge him for coping this way. Cause I'm like, wow, that's what I used to do all the time, which was, you know, suicide is this really taboo topic, but you know, he, he knew that that was something he could rely on if his days were really bad or if things Mm. just too horrible. He was like, yeah, this is an option. I, at the end of the day, it's an option I still have. And I don't always, I'm not always opposed to just thinking about it. And that used to get me through each day, just knowing I did have an option, but but nowadays, it's I, even just the smallest things, having something to look forward to, like, you know, my sister coming home for Christmas or, you know, the sandwich I had in the fridge that I'm really excited to eat. Like, it just really small things. I mm-hmm. think I try to have a lot of small things to look forward to. And these days, that's kind of what helps me the most. Other than what you'd said about self-harm, is there is there another myth that you think is bullshit? You want to call bullshit on? There's a lot. There's so I many. Know. One, I have several, but one of the ones you have to have some sort of trauma or you have to be not okay to seek therapy or to seek help. And I think people that would consider themselves happy people, I think they should go to therapy too. This whole world would be so much better if we actually could talk about these things and could talk about the really awful things that we feel like we can't say to other people. Because in another episode I recently listened to, I think you asked, why do you think people avoid this topic so much? Uh, Or like, why do you think people are so afraid of it? He said that people are afraid of death and that they they don't want to die, let alone they don't know how to deal with someone that And I also think it just the whole the whole subject of it having to be like this horrible thing. I mean, I think that's why people don't talk about it also, because if someone walked up to you and said, I feel like killing myself, a lot of people are like, what am I supposed to do with that? You don't burden someone, for lack of a better word for that, with that information, at least Mm -hmm. me, that's too much for most people to handle. I think that is also just another thing is that it's it has to be like this huge topic of, and this huge heavy topic. And it is, but it also, if someone said that, you know, it's just like, yeah, you know, um, life is shitty. It's okay to acknowledge like the really horrible parts and therapy is not for just for like mentally ill people. It's for everyone. I also think that another myth, I hate when people say this, it's mostly portrayed in the movies and the media, not so much real life. People just do it do things like this for attention. I hate attention. I hate having the spotlight on me. I certainly didn't do this for attention. I thought it was a 
going to be a permanent, you know, decision with permanent effects. I, but I didn't do it for attention by any means. That's definitely, uh, it's completely false. I just, I think some myths are, you know, just to kind of run through it again is that people do it for attention. I think that's, like you said, it's complete bullshit. You have to have trauma to want to go through with something like this. Quite honestly, you don't have to have a reason or to justify yourself for having suicidal thoughts. Every person is unique and you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to justify your feelings to anyone um, because all the feelings are valid. You know, your mind doesn't just make them up. All the feelings are are real. And yeah. if you don't know why you're feeling them all the time, but they're very much real. So you don't have to have any sort of trauma to feel this way. The other myth was the first one, you know, therapy is only for people that are sick or people that are suffering. It's it's for everyone. I think those are like three big rumors of mine I would like to, you know, dispel because they really makes me mad when people actually go along with those rumors or those myths sometimes. Me too. Last question. You were nervous. You said you were excited and nervous to talk. So I'm wondering, because I asked you why, I think I asked you one of my first questions, why do you listen to the podcast? But I don't think I actually ever asked you why you chose to talk with me today. I think you alluded to it a little bit at some points during our the last hour, but now I'm asking you, why did you talk with me? And I appreciate it, but why? I think it's a really wonderful question to ask. My girlfriend makes me feel really understood and I rely on her like as an outlet specifically for that. I don't rely on her all the time because I think that would be unhealthy for her and and for me. Uh, when I was listening to this and I just I just typed suicide into the search bar on Spotify to see what would come up because I will just watch YouTube videos or listen to things yeah. like this. If I'm feeling that way and I want to be understood, I don't want to I don't want someone to tell me, you know, oh, you just have to you just have to cheer up, Charlie, you know, <laughs> or you just have yeah. to get need to be stronger. A- a- anything that's coming after the word just is just bullshit. Like you just just dot dot dot. I'm not even listening to you. Yeah. I'm gonna have to just do a fucking thing. We're done. That's how I am. I'm not as nice as you. I feel like super passionate and angsty on the inside. I feel like on the outside, I'm I try to keep things really I growing up, I with all the fighting in, in my family, I was always I'm like an avid people pleaser. I think happy because, go lucky, happy go lucky autumn. You said it yourself, right? Yeah, and it it's not like that on the inside, but on the outside, it's just how I've always been since since childhood. And that's like a whole other hour topic of conversation. <laughs> okay, but another day. With all that being said, I just, this made me feel understood. You know, I, I just felt understood. Like I could feel like my real self and let me feel all of those negative feelings that I was trying to push out around everyone else for so long. So when I listened to this, I, I found myself going, yes. Mm. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. It just more yeses and more yeses. And like, wow, there's nothing wrong with me. I feel like I don't have to justify myself because these people in this, in the podcast, they didn't justify themselves either. They just said how they felt. And I'm like, oh, you can do that. And I just hope that I can make someone else feel understood in the way that I felt understood by listening to this. I searched it thinking I was just going to have a sad day and I ended up listening to this and I actually learned a lot of things and it helped me learn a couple things about myself too, actually, just by mm. listening to stories instead of making me feel worse. Cause sometimes I just want to be sad in peace and I don't want to be happy in the moment. And unintentionally, it made me feel better. I thought I was just going to wallow away in my feelings. I was just going to listen to sad music. I was going to listen to a a podcast about suicide, but it ended up being, you know, instead of getting comfortable in that sadness, like I always do, I don't know what I was expecting to get out of it, but it ended up going in the opposite direction. So when I listened to it, I just felt like so compelled to just share my story for some reason. I want so badly to just help or reach at least one person. Like Max from Ohio reached me, you know? listening i hope you know that you did something good <laughs> so, max, max in ohio well done young man I, I just think it's it's really great to just you know all the way from ohio now here to virginia being facilitated yep. from north carolina just all this 
really cool stuff that's going on. And like in the intro to this podcast, you talk about just being able to talk about it and just opening up this dialogue. And it's done that for me. And uh, my girl, only one that knows I'm doing this podcast, but in the future, Mm -hmm. I, I tell my parents, but I just think for now it's, it's easier to handle just with, with her knowing is very excited and very proud of me for doing it. So the support is super cool, but I was unintentionally and more inspired by this podcast than I thought I was going to be. So that's the reason I did it really. I appreciate it. I'm sure people will hear it and appreciate it too. And also, by the way, I'm not surprised that your girlfriend is so supportive. I'm sure she's awesome. And I could be wrong here, but is not Virginia for lovers? <laughs> I mean, isn't that literally like that's on the, the t-shirts? Yeah, that's well, of exactly. Of course you're going to have some, but I mean, come on. It's like written in the whole tagline of the state. I do even live in Virginia if you don't live by the mantra. <laughs> you know? Right. Not a pressure. A lot of pressure in Virginia. It's one of my favorite things, though. It actually fits. You know, Virginia is for lovers. Really is. Anything else you want to add before we skedaddle? I always have this thing where in any conversation I have, you know, I, I always say that's all. And then I get back to whatever I was doing. And then I think about all the things that I wish I would have said. So yeah, sure. This, this is the same kind of deal. I think in the moment I have said everything I probably needed to say. And yeah. I just, I hope that it, it's helped someone like yeah. other people have helped me. I've listened to nearly all of them and they're wow. all just incredible. All these people are so incredible. And I know that there are so many people going through all sorts of different things pertaining to this, this topic, you know, the subject that we're on. I just hope that, I just hope that they're doing well, like that, that their days are good, whatever mm-hmm. they decide to do. Uh, I hope that they just feel like sort of like how I feel that the podcast is sort of like a little small support system. And that's sort of what it felt like to me. I, you know, and when I get off of here, I'm probably going to think of a lot of things I could have said, but mm-hmm. I'm just up to that that's going to happen. And right. just, that. <laughs> just know that, yeah, I, I, this may not help at all, but most people from what they've shared with me feel that way right? You're never going to get it perfect and trust that you got most of it out there. If we did this exact same thing 10 times, it'd be similar. I think so. I'll definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we asked the big questions. You answered how you feel today. And we're talking today. We're not talking tomorrow. We didn't talk yesterday. We're talking today, but just trust. Every time I talk about it, it gets a little easier. It's extremely hard for me to talk about. I don't know if I've done well so far at hiding the fact that it's very hard to talk about but i just think it's it's good for other people to hear other people's stories but i also think it's good for me um to talk about it and so this was helpful for me too actually yeah more power to you for doing it when it's not easy not comfortable or you know you seemed fine but i guess on the inside we don't know because you're happy go lucky right we don't know that you're unhappy stop unlucky on the inside i just really yeah. appreciate the conversation about this subject. I don't talk about it very much. So uh, it's really hard, but I think it's something I needed. Good. I'm, I appreciate that. Thank you for trusting me. Yeah. I don't think it's just for people to hear the conversation out there in the world. I mean, that's a big part of it, but also for some people, like they don't have a lot of people to talk to, or even if they do talking about it in some way is helpful. So that's part of it too. And you know what? We don't talk about this part very often. It has come up here and there. It's it's actually quite healthy for me. It's weird. I, I don't want people to be in pain. I don't want them to attempt suicide, you know, but they do. It's, it's going to happen, right? And so I'm like, let's just create spaces, man. And I feel like I'm okay with it. So I yeah. wish more people did it. But right now, I'm one of the people that does it. I think that's wonderful. Who knows? Maybe I'll learn something from our conversation or I'll hear something a different way. It just kind of makes me want to have more of a dialogue about it with the people in my life or just be more active on social media for people or organizations actually trying to change Mm. the dialogue in a meaningful, positive, authentic way and not like a, oh, we're doing good, you know, follow for follow or something like that. 
I'm just really grateful for the opportunity. I appreciate the conversation. Me too. Thank you again. Really appreciate it. I'll talk soon. Have a good day as best you can. All right. You too. Thank you. As always, thanks so much for listening and all of your support. And special thanks to Autumn in Virginia. Our final conversation of 2021. Thank you, Autumn. If you are a suicide attempt survivor and you'd like to share your story, I would love to talk. Please reach out. Hello at SuicideNoted.com or on Facebook or Twitter at Suicide Noted. Check the show notes for information on how you can support the podcast. And if you're interested in story stuff, I've got another podcast called Grit, True Stories That Matter. Check it out. That is all for episode number 88. Stay strong. Do the very best you can. I'll talk to you soon.